Today we meet somebody that I met in 1988, and we learn about where he's from and who he is, Jim Canelon. We're going to meet him in a moment. He is one of my favorite people and one of my best friends. He's actually like a brother to me. But this reminds me of something as I look at Proverbs chapter 21 from the scriptures. In verse 2 it says, Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord is the one who weighs the hearts. What does that mean? It means God is the one who can determine why we do the things we do. One of the things that strikes me about Jim Canelon is that he has learned from a very young age how to listen to the Lord. It's almost as if God had reached him before all of the troubles of this world would get into his heart. And at five years old, he hears the Spirit of God speaking to him. So let's go now and listen to what Jim Canelon talks to us about when he speaks about the beginning of his life when... The most known, yet most underread book in the world. What is it? It's the Bible. It is known by millions, yet undiscovered by millions. The Bible is a book rich in the knowledge about us and about God. Come along with us as we explore this beautiful book full of God's wonder and discover what it really means to be human. From the first book of Genesis all the way to the last book of Revelation, join us. People determined to know what the Word of God says. For your sample copy of the Bible Discovery Guides, contact us at Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. Or in Canada, P.O. Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W5G2 or simply go to www.biblediscoverytv.com. The year was 1988. That's a long time ago, it seems. And I was the producer of a program called 100 Huntley Street, and David Maines, a gentleman who was responsible for that program and started it, said to me, Rod, there's a gentleman coming back from Israel, and I want to make him part of our air team. First time I'd heard about it, and I said, okay, well, that's good. What's his name? And he said, Jim Canelon. Well, Jim Canelon is here today. Welcome, everybody. Jim Canelon. <laughs> Thanks, Rod. Uh, Jim We've known each other for a period of time. You have a program on the air right now, Jim Canelon Today, which has been on the air about six years. And uh, But I'd like to go back because your beginnings, you know, you didn't come from a big city. You came from a small place. So tell us about your childhood. Where were you from? Well, I can tell you more than my, about my childhood. Let me tell you about my, um, my ancestors just to kind of set the table. Um, back in... Um, 
1906. My great-grandmother, uh, married to my great-grandfather, they've had a farm in Cartwright, Manitoba, uh, Canada, uh, had a powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit and began to pray for her sons, her four sons and her husband, that they would come to faith. Seven years later, 1913, through the impact of a Gideon Bible in a hotel in Winnipeg, Manitoba, the oldest of her four sons committed his life to the Lord. He came back to the farm, led his brothers to the Lord, his father to the Lord, and they all became lay preachers. Now, they were a very successful farming family. They used to do contract uh, wheat harvesting right across the prairies with old-fashioned steam engines. And they used to refer to my great-grandfather as the prairie harvester. Um, so this uh, new wrinkle in their lives, this actually really this rebirth in their lives uh, culminated in all of them becoming church planters, uh, eventually missionaries and evangelists. I mean, so my, my, my roots in ministry go back for four generations to Southern Manitoba and a Gideon Bible. Um, I was five years of age uh, attending Living Waters Camp in Watrous, Saskatchewan. You've had a guest, Brian Stiller, who has very similar memories to me of that place. And um, I was in a children's meeting in an, uh, an old granary that had some backless benches and it used to hold grain. Now the children, that was a children's tabernacle where the adults met in a, a leaky, shaky, looked like it would collapse at any moment, a building they called the adult tabernacle. <laughs> and during the two weeks of camp meeting, they would have morning Bible studies for the adults and they'd have children's meetings for the kids in the granary. And, um, the teacher was a university student working on a master's degree, which at that time in our context was unheard of, going to university, let alone getting a master's degree in English, of all things. She was taking us through a child-sized version of John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. There were about 26 of us there. When she finished that day's story, she dismissed the kids, and everybody burst out in the sunshine to play except for me. I couldn't move. I sat there and she came over to me and said, Jimmy, uh, can I help you? And I started to cry. I said, Miss Brown, I need to get saved. And you're five years old? I'm five years old. Okay. Uh, well, <laughs> she was very wise. She took me into a little back room in the greenery and she prayed for me. And then she asked me to pray. But the thing about it is that she prayed for me and then I started to pray. It was the most profound spiritual experience of my life to this day. I felt like somebody was pouring warm oil on my head, going right down to my feet. It's like the light became brilliant uh, coming through this uh, old window with a, with a broken screen in it with blue bottle flies flying in and out. Uh, and I, I sobbed. I just didn't cry. I sobbed. But the interesting thing is at five years of age, I wasn't sobbing for sorrow. I was sobbing for joy. Now go figure. Okay, I didn't have any critical capacity to analyze or to interpret what I'm going through. I didn't have a sordid life past. You know, I wasn't sleeping around. I wasn't doing drugs. You know, I wasn't uh, cheating the government. I'm five years of age. I'm a little innocent. And Miss um, Brown then very wisely said, well, Jimmy, you just stay here until you're ready to come out to play. And, and she left me. Now, she knew I didn't want to go out and have my friends see me. You know, I didn't want to see Stiller, you know, with me with swollen eyes, you know, making fun of me. And so I, I, I looked out and there was nobody in the sort of, there was a little town square there in the campgrounds. And I rushed around to the back of the greenery and sat with my 
back against the hot barn boards and the, the grass was up above my head so no one could see me. And I sat there for about an hour. Just I wasn't thinking. I was, oh, I'm not sure what I was doing. I, I, I was just exulting in this remarkable sense of a presence in my life. Now, here's what's interesting. I finally got up and walked around and there were still no children out there playing. So I was really relieved about that. I'm walking across the square and suddenly I hear a voice, Jimmy, Jimmy Catalan, come here. And I turned and it was a guy by the name of Bill Cornelius. He was a young pastor from Canwood, Saskatchewan, and he was in charge of our missions program for the Pentecost Summers of Canada in Saskatchewan. I ran over to him. He said, uh, Jimmy, we have our big missions uh, meeting this coming Sunday afternoon. There's going to be 500 people there. And I'd like you to get your dad to write you a five-minute sermon on why we should go into all the world and preach the gospel. You memorize it, and then I'm going to call on you to preach it. So now you're preaching. Yeah. And I'm five years of age, okay? What I did then, I've done it my entire life. When opportunity knocks, I say, why not? I said, sure, Mr. Cornelius, I'll do that. So my dad wrote me, my dad couldn't believe it. <laughs> he wrote me this. Homer Catalan. Homer yeah. Catalan, my dad. And he, he wrote this sermon for me. And that Sunday afternoon in front of 500 people, Bill Cornelius called on me to preach a sermon on why we should go to, into all the world and preach the gospel. And I did it with as much gusto and confidence as I could muster. But here's the thing. Within an hour, an hour and a half, on that very sunny um, Friday um, morning, the Lord introduced himself to me and called me into the ministry. And I was five years of age. Uh, I'm now 75, so for 70 years now, I've been faithful, both to the Lord and to that calling. I've never wavered. I, I, I didn't even think about rebelling. You know, they, they always say that preacher's kids rebel. Like, why would I rebel? First of all, Jesus had touched my life, but secondly, my father was the same guy at the breakfast table as he was in the pulpit. He was totally consistent, loved my mother, loved us kids, and, and lived a very um, godly life. So I had no reason to even doubt the veracity of faith. And um, for the last seven years, I've just been on that adventure. And I can say this honestly, and I, I do mean it. This is not hyperbole. I continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I've never kind of reached a plateau and even off. I, there's more excitement in my life and more adventure in learning, uh, you know, in the Word of God than I've ever had before. Now, Homer, your father, yeah. uh, he, he was a big guy. Yeah. He was, he, we call him the gentle giant. Yeah. He was yeah. an amazing guy, but he pastored. Yeah. And there were a couple of times when he pastored, one of the times that I, I heard the heard the, you tell the story, and I'd like you to tell it again, when you didn't have any food. Yeah, uh, it was in Calvington, Saskatchewan. Uh, I came down on a cold February morning uh, for my morning porridge, and uh, there was nothing there. And my dad was picking away at the ice on the, on the window and looking a little troubled. And I said, Dad... He said, Jim, we don't have any oatmeal. I said, well, give me a couple of dollars. I'll go to the store and buy some. We don't have any money either. At that point, my mom came in. She was, she'd been crying, I could tell. And, uh, and then my brother. And dad said, come on, let's sit around the table here for a minute. So we sat around this empty table. And dad led us in a simple little prayer of gratitude to the Lord for his faithfulness. It wasn't name it and claim it. He didn't ask the Lord for food. It wasn't one of these, you know, these by rote, bless the food prayers, which I think sometimes we need to re-examine re and revisit. 
Anyway, I went upstairs to get dressed for school. I'm up there, I got my jeans on, and I hear someone thumping at the front door. It sounded like they were kicking, not knocking. I rushed down the stairs, and the window up there, I was just a little guy up there, it was all frozen with frost, and I could see the shadow of it looks like a woman's head with a hat. But the, 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 the seams of the door were all frozen from frost. And I, I said, can you come to the back door? Nobody will get But she keeps kicking on this door. So dad had made a bookcase out of bricks, and I took one of the bricks, and I slammed it on the ice, and finally the door opened with a whoosh. I fell flat on my back. And here's a woman in a long brown coat and a hat, looked to be in her 60s, with four big bags in her, in her arms. And she says, here, Jimmy, these are for you. I, don't, I knew everybody in that little town. I don't know her. How does she know my name? She's handing me these bags, and they're full of food. I put them on the floor. I leave her standing there, the door still wide open. I rush up to my dad. He had an office across my bedroom. Dad, dad. He comes down. She's gone. He closed the door, carried the bags. He unloaded them on the kitchen table, and it was groaning with food. But the thing about it is, this wasn't food you could buy in Calvin in Saskatchewan. This was exotic food. There was German ham. There was fresh fruit. Um, there, there was a turkey. There, there, there was butter. I'd never had butter in my life to that point in time. And from then till now, I refused to eat margarine. Um, and there was enough food there for a month. My mom comes in looking totally amazed. My little brother, dad, gets us around the table again. Prays a simple prayer of thanksgiving. I knew exactly what had happened. The Lord had heard this little preacher's prayer, well, this big preacher's prayer, <laughs> and sent one of his angels that's, that's what it was. It was an angelic visitation with exotic food in response to his faithfulness. The Bible Discovery Guide takes you through pages of the most important book that you will ever read. It is the Word of God. Through careful exploration and thoughtful insight, we uncover the truths presented in the Bible. For your sample copy, write to P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. That's Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 150, Murraysville, Pennsylvania, 15668-0150. In Canada, write to Bible Discovery, P.O. Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W 5G2. That's Box 456, Orangeville, Ontario, L9W 5G2. Or simply go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. And beyond the call, we explore a, a person's background. We've been exploring Jim Canelon's background. It's, it's been great. But Jim, I, I want to talk about now, later on, uh, I, I have stories that people tell me all over the place of when you were pastoring. But I, I'd like to talk about specifically Jerusalem. Yeah. I'd like to talk about how in the world did you end up pastoring a church? <laughs> In Jerusalem, in the Jewish city. Yeah, well, it started. It's it started actually um, in southern Lebanon. 
when I was asked to come over and do some interim broadcasting for a little ministry that had a radio station in, in a war zone in an old abandoned customs house in southern Lebanon. And uh, I, it was 1981, January 1981, and um, I had a young family, and they warned me that the PLO had already threatened to blow up the station and kill the staff. Palestine but, Liberation Yeah, Order. Palestine Liberation Order Organization. And I was coming in at that critical moment while the small staff they had got a break. They, they were stressed to the max. So in 81, January 81, I went over and for three weeks I broadcast out of this war zone. Uh, I, I, it takes an hour to tell this story, Rod, so you know I, I can't even begin to give you some of the delicious details. But it was while I was there that the Lord really introduced the idea of bringing young Canadian adults over to live and work as volunteers on Kibbutzim in Israel, as volunteers for two months at a time. So, and, the, and I thought, I'll call it Kibbutz Shalom. So we came back to Canada, I went across Canada to all of our Bible colleges, presented the idea, it, it was very warmly received. The upshot of it is in June of 81, my wife Kathy and I, and uh, a couple of other men from the head office of the PAOC, Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada, uh, were meeting with government officials. Ministry of Tourism, Ministry of Religion, Ministry of External Affairs. And um, I had my four-color brochure of Kibbutz Shalom. The whole point was to introduce Kibbutz Shalom to them and get their approval. What I didn't realize is they'd done a full... Uh, intelligence sweep on, 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 on me, knew exactly who I was, what I represented. And at that point in time, 1981, Israel was in need of some friends. And they knew that the Pentecostals in Canada were real friends of Israel. I'm sure that was part of it. Anyway, I give them my, you know, sales pitch with regard to Kibbutz Shalom. And uh, there was a pause. And finally, Haya Fisher, she was the uh, minister in charge of uh, tourism. She looked like uh, Golda Meir. She could have been Golda Meir's daughter. You know, Jim, this is a very good idea, this Kibbutz Shalom, but you cannot to be coordinating it from Toronto. You must to be living here in Yerushalayim. Pause. She looks at the other guys. And would you consider planting an international church in Jerusalem with our approval? Government approval. Never in the history of the state had that ever happened before, and it's never happened since. I had just built a brand new church north of Toronto, a brand new building. We'd built a building, had 800 people attending. But it was an offer I couldn't refuse. <laughs> this is an offer you cannot refuse. And I said, yes. Kathy kicked me under the table. Your wife. <laughs> Fortunately, Kathy is a missionary's kid, and uh, she has empowered me every step of the way. Four times we have started something, given it to other people, and gone back and started over again. I tell people that we are afflicted with downward mobility. Anyway, the upshot of it is that we uh, we, we uh, resigned our church and, and moved to uh, Jerusalem in November of 1981. And uh, a year and a half later, we planted what's now called King of Kings. We're about to have our 40th anniversary. They're flying me over to um, preach the anniversary service. Um, it's a phenomenal ministry. Uh, you know, your, your viewers can log on to King of Kings Jerusalem and, and, and see it for themselves, log on to the website. Uh, it's an amazing, an amazing story. But purely, purely the work of the, of the Spirit. I, 
you know, I when we when we dedicated the, the the new building, it's called the Pavilion, right in the heart of Jerusalem. It's a gorgeous place. Even the Jerusalem Philharmonic plays there when they want a really impressive venue. Uh, when we went there for the dedication, Crossroads Christian Communications and David Maines were there. There was a choir from Denmark singing uh, uh, all of Handel's Messiah. Boris Brat, the famous Jewish uh, uh, conductor, was leading the Jerusalem Philharmonic. Uh, camera, cameras everywhere. Uh, it was a phenomenal event. The whole city knew about it. And uh, afterwards, there were all these people, you know, swarming around, saying, "Gee, Jim, what a wonderful! You must, you must be." F it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing, isn't? One guy said to me, "When a plan comes together." I said, "What plan? I didn't have a plan." I said, "The Lord had a plan. I didn't have a plan." Oh, but you must obey this in prayer. No, how can I pray about this, dear Lord? I'd like you to ask me to plant a church in Jerusalem, please. I mean, that, that thought would never have occurred to me. And I, I, I try not to be trite when I say this, but my view of spiritual leadership is to find the Father's hand, put your hand in his hand as a little kid, and just walk in his shadow. Let him open the doors. And I've never had a concern about funding ministry because I've always believed that money follows ministry. It doesn't precede it. Uh, unless you're prepared to take, take a leap in the dark, why would the Lord give you anything? Unless you're prepared to take a risk. Why, 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 the, the Lord has a weakness for risk takers. Uh, for people who are looking for security and comfort, say, well, go somewhere else, find your mother. I'm your father. <laughs> That's fascinating. And, and you, you, your two sons and your daughter. Yeah. They went to school in Israel. Yeah, they grew up there. They're, they're, they're more Israelis than they are um, Canadians. Uh, they speak Hebrew fluently. They're all in ministry. Um, but um, Jess Canlon does a program here called yeah. This is Israel. Yeah, that's what he does. And he's got a real big vision for Israel, which he's you know, pursuing right now. And he needs a lot of money to make it happen. But you know, I, I said to my kids when they were younger, one day we were having a prayer time and I wasn't preaching at them, but I said, you know what, guys? Life is too short to fail small. If you're going to fail, fail big. Go for, you know, go, go for the big, the big dream. Dream a big dream and take small steps. Be faithful in your small steps and the Lord will make your path straight. And that's exactly what they're doing. So today uh, you have, you know, Wow Ministries, which is working for orphans and widows, yeah. and you're helping in in South Africa. You're helping in the you're helping in other places. Yeah. And this started when? Uh, Twenty three years ago, I was pastoring a, a large church in in British Columbia, and I just felt the Lord calling me to do something about the HIV and AIDS pandemic, which was becoming and ha and it still is the biggest orphan and widow maker in the history of mankind. And uh, David's words resonated with me. God is a father, the fatherless, and a defender of widows in his holy habitation. And I realized that the, the bottom line, if you will, of the least of these, as Jesus described them, was orphans and widows. They're powerless, no, no recourse, no economic stability, uh, no, nothing. And so it's an interesting story how the Lord led us there. Again, we had to, you know, drop something at its height, pass it on to others, and start from the bottom again, which what Kathy and I do. Uh, but 23 years later, you know, we're working in South Africa and Zambia and in, in, in Malawi and also in southern India. And um, we, uh, we have a whole network of um, hundreds and hundreds, in, in, in a few cases, thousands of churches who are working under 
this vision of caring for orphans and widows and fulfilling righteousness and justice, as the scripture teaches us, is the bottom line. Right relationship with God, right relationship with neighbor. Love for God, love for neighbor. That's what it's all about. And uh, wowmission.com, if somebody wants to check us out, wowmission.com, uh, you can find a little bit about us. But um, to me, it's been a transformative ministry. And it's, it's, it's something that has humbled me and challenged me. And, and, and um, every time I'm there, I just got back with Kathy, um, I feel overwhelmed by God's love and mercy for the poor. What's interesting is your program, Jim Cannell on Today, six years old, uh, um, some people talked to you and said, why aren't you on TV? Yeah, well, you know, for uh, altogether about uh, 13, 14 years, I co-hosted and hosted a national Christian television show in Canada called 100 Huntley Street. And uh, when my time there was done, I then took this large church in British Columbia. And over the course of the next few years, I had people, including you, approaching me and saying, why aren't you on TV again, Jim? And I couldn't answer that question. All I knew was that that was in the future for me again, only in a totally different term terms in a different context. And uh, I, I've always felt the need to just uh, expose the Gospels, you know, without any strings attached. And so with Jim Cannelon today, I just go through the Gospels. Right now we're in the Gospel of John. We started six years ago and we're not finished John yet. Can you believe it? So we've done Matthew, Mark, Luke, Acts, Acts because it's volume two of Luke and John. When I finish John, in another couple months, I'm going to go back and start Matthew all over again. I figure that the story of Jesus needs to be told and retold. Absolutely. And Jim Cantillon today is the voice of WOW as yep, well. Yep. And it is a great ministry. I encourage you to watch for it. Thank you, Jim, for being here today. Really appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Rod. Jim Cantillon today is the program you need to check out, watch, look for it. It's around. You can also go to our website and find it there or his website and find it there. A program experience delivering what God is saying to the human race today. Reading the Bible from cover to cover, we learn how God spoke to the people in the past, speaks about the future, and shows us how to react and respond to the difficulties and discovering of our lives today. Bible Discovery TV is a program hosted by the Hembry family as they uncover the meaning of God's message to planet Earth. To discover the meaning of God's Word and how the Lord is speaking to us today, visit Bible Discovery TV at BibleDiscoveryTV.com. That's BibleDiscoveryTV.com. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3, listen carefully to the scripture. It's very important to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable than the Lord's sacrifice. Now, that's important to remember to do righteousness, to be right with God and to do justice, to do right to others. And that's exactly what Jim has done. And so, beloved, we need to understand and learn that we need to be obedient. We need to listen to the Lord. When God speaks to us, we just need to do what he says. 
not come up with ideas about how we can do things, but we need to listen to the Lord and understand that God is trying to tell us to do His work because He's called us for that work and He has put us together so that we can accomplish the work that He calls us to do. Very, very important and something we should always consider as we carry on in our life.